Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Ken Washington, the CTO at Ford Motor Company, and we discuss their next generation technology behind the all new Mach E, how Ford is stepping up to produce ventilators and PPE for COVID 19, and actionable steps you can take to set your team up for success. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. How you doing, Ken? Doing good. How are you? How are you, Joel? Oh, I love your background. It looks awesome. Thank you. That's my trusty home office. Been spending a lot of quality time in this office <laughs> lately. <laughs> oh man. So have I. I've been I've been at home a lot, and I've got the kids and everything, and it's like looking forward to. Uh, but I get to talk to people like you, and so this is like really exciting. So I'm pumped up. Well, you know, there's there's uh there are a few silver linings to this dark cloud around COVID nineteen, and you know a lot of a lot a lot more time at home with family, and and uh, so it's not all bad. Was your team pretty used to working remote before this? Uh, depends on which part of my team, but uh, we we have um, a pretty pretty easy time of shifting to a remote working mode. So uh, a lot of our work is is uh, you know analytical and software and um, computer work. So wasn't too hard for us to make the transition. You know, had to make some compromises, of course, because we don't have access to our laboratories and testing equipment, but. Uh, you know, it's a pretty resilient group and we're figuring out ways to get things done and trying to hold it together. So I'm, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, my wife had a biology class and they had lab day and it was like, you know, a week ago, right when the, this all first happened. And I was like, how are you going to do that? She's like, I don't know. He might like live stream from the lab or something. <laughs> right. We're doing some, a lot of creative things just to kind of hold things together. So, but it's... It's a great display of teamwork too. I have really seen my team come together and uh, work in a manner that's very supportive of each other. And it's really great to see. So like I said, it's not all bad. It's the team has kind of lifted their spirits up together as a, as a unit and working as a, as a real tight knit team. So it feels real good to, to watch, to watch the team get through this time in a, in the best way possible. But uh, it is an unprecedented time and, it's the time when we need to not only take care of ourselves and our families, but we need to to do everything we can to help society and and help out, provide any assistance we can to the brave healthcare workers who are going into the face of the virus to help humanity. And it's just heartwarming to find the Ford engineers are willing to step up and do everything we can to support that by designing and supporting and making medical equipment and you know, we've got guys who are in the lab every day who, um, you know, they're taking precautions to be safe, uh, but they're helping to do filtration testing. They're evaluating oxygen sensors and they're working side by side with our manufacturing team to build out these extra, extra ventilators that the healthcare system so desperately needs. And uh, um, so it's really heartwarming to see that kind of, that kind of uh, support for, for not only our own team but for society so really it feels great to be part of the ford family 
we obviously don't like love difficult moments, but when we can respond, right? Like I agree, hundred percent agree. It's it's completely heartwarming. When I saw the, yeah, I was excited about getting to talk to you and the weeks to come to this. And then when I saw the news article that Ford was making the ventilators, I was like, yes, I'm gonna give a giant thank you to Ken. I know it's like a whole team and it takes a village, but I just wanted to say thank you guys for that because that's like, it's meaningful to to us as humans. And then you guys did a lot of other things too. Like I read another article today that there was like, there's a whole list and people can read it on the, on the Ford website because that's where I read it. It's not just like the one thing, it's not just the ventilators. There's a number of other programs you guys are doing uh, to help relief. Yeah, there's really three primary things we're doing and it's all online so you can get the details, but we're making face shields uh, using our manufacturing team. We're making the ventilators and then we're working with existing manufacturers of, of N95 masks and other PPE to amplify and accelerate and increase the capacity of their existing manufacturing lines. So uh, on all three fronts, it matters. So thank you for the kind words. I'll pass it on to the team. Please do. Another area you're crushing it too. Uh, I, I saw today for the first time, we call it a Mach-E. It's like a Mustang SUV electric vehicle that's, that's beautiful. I, I slacked it to Thank my you. producer, Jake. I said, have you seen this? This is like, it's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. We revealed it last late last year and, and uh, we brought one to our booth at, in Las Vegas at CES. And uh, it was a real hit. Um, it's a beautiful vehicle and it's the first in a series of beautiful, um, high performing, um, and uh, of course, environmentally friendly, no compromise, um, customer, um, human-centric designed uh, battery electric vehicles we plan to bring to market. So um, the team was really excited to see that come to life. And uh, we, uh, we're excited about it. So thanks for making that comment. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I, I want more beautiful cars on the road. I'm out there on the road, <laughs> right? Well, well I, have to, I have to jump in because, you know, it's, if you, when you walk up to a Mach-E, you see, you know, it is a beautiful vehicle. It's got this, you know, just a beautiful Mustang, you know, lang the design language that, uh, you know, we're, that's famous for the Mustang look. Uh, but what the beauty is, is more than skin, is skin, you know, more than skin deep. It's beautiful on the inside too. This, this is the first vehicle we've brought to market that is built around our next gen electrical architecture. And so it's the smartest, uh, Mustang ever. It's got a next generation sync system in it. It's got a big screen with with um, uh, artificial intelligence integrated into the end vehicle infotainment system. So it's uh, it's beautiful on the outside and it's beautiful on the inside. And we think the driving experience is beautiful as well. So it's a it's a really great vehicle. Oh, I I was I was just blown away. And then I saw I dug deeper and I was like, what other electric vehicles do they have? And I saw, and I don't know if it's like out or the prototype or what, but it looked like just a normal modern Ford F-150. Didn't look like an electric version, just looked like a Ford F-150, but it was electric. And it was like in the video, it was like pulling some train, train carriages or something. Yeah, yeah let me fill you in. Um, so uh, we have in our, uh, in our plans to bring to market a, uh, an all electric F-150. And our process for bringing new, new uh, variants of our vehicles to market is to first build prototypes and we learn from that and we use those to 
to uh, help us design and engineer and interface with the with the customers and so on and so forth. But in the case of the F-150 being electrified, because it's such an important vehicle in our lineup and because we're um, the leaders in, in work uh, in the F-150 line being the best-selling vehicle in America, uh, we felt it was really important to, to right up front before we even bring it to market to demonstrate that this vehicle, even though it's electrified, is a no compromise vehicle when it comes to towing capacity, because that's really important to truck customers. And so we wanted to just get that off the table and, and debunk any myths that might be arising in people's minds that an electric pickup truck wouldn't have the kind of um, performance and towing power and cap cap capability that our, that our current uh, gas and gas vehicles have. And and we uh, did that train, that train uh, action to uh, demonstrate that. So um, proud of the team for building a capable prototype and then pulling off that uh, that activity to show the world that this is going to be an electric pickup truck that's going to have no compromise. Wouldn't it like? And then in the future, or I guess the best way to form this question would be like. The electric vehicles don't they potentially have more towing capacity or like more capacity than a gas vehicle and more torque and more torque and the, yeah so more torque so that uh, the actual pulling capacity would be higher in the at the front end which is where it matters so so um yeah that's right i want to take a like a raptor and make like a raptor e because i think those trucks <laughs> are like some of the sickest looking vehicles on whenever i see those driving down the road, I'm like, oh, look at that Raptor. It just looks, it looks aggressive, but also it looks also cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Which, which a, one do you like? What's a, what's your favorite model of all of them? Oh, that's like asking, you know, a, a parent <laughs> of multiple children, who's your favorite kid, right? I, I can't, I can't do that. But, I, you know, I, I'm a technologist at heart. So I, I kind of like to peer underneath the, the cover of the vehicle to see, well, what kind of technology is in there? And, and how is it going to change the experience of people who own that? You know, when you bring your phone in the vehicle, how's it going to pair? And what kind of uh, infotainment experience are you going to have? Uh, you know, what kind of connectivity are you going to have in the vehicle? We're so excited that our vehicles are all connected now to the cloud. And we're busy building out the platform so that that connectivity can turn into new experiences after you buy the vehicle, right? So you can actually buy the vehicle and then later get an over-the-air update that gives you a new capability. And so we're hard at work building that for the Mustang Mach-E uh, because it's got the next-gen electrical architectures. So we can actually build systems that can be deployed over the air that makes the Mustang Mach-E better than the day you bought it. And we're excited about that. I love that. Uh, that's going to be really cool. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, we're working on a bunch of other things that you know aren't aren't available yet for vehicles that are uh, you know, in the market now, but will be in the next several years. That's where we spend our time building out the next generation tech stack for our vehicles. I love it. I'm, I'm going to pick one up just because like I, I, I've been looking at the EVs. And then when I saw that one, I was like, Ooh, it was a smart move taking like the Mustang brand and doing it. Like I just, I don't know. And it was a good price point too. We'd be happy to sell you as many as you'd like to buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me talk yes. about that a little bit. I mean, it's one of the things we thought was really important with the Mustang Mach-E was to change the buying experience too. 
So I'm sure you've noticed that you you actually can put the order in for the Maki now, and then you know I almost it, clicked it too before the show. Have it later. <laughs> go do it. Just do it. It's <laughs> I will. I'll go through the experience for sure. You won't, you won't regret it. It's um, you know we think that whole experience of buying online, clicking, uh, is uh, is what people are going to start to expect, especially from electrified vehicles like the Mustang Maki. And, uh, and that's just the beginning. I mean, in the future, people are going to want to have other experiences that uh, electric vehicles enable. And let me give you an example. Let's say t- charging. I mean, nobody likes to go to the gas station and, you know, get out of your car and yeah. pull out the you know, handle and stick it in and get gas, especially in, a, in, in the world now where we're trying to limit our exposure to, to surfaces and that kind of thing. That's not a great experience. So with electric vehicles, you never have to do that, but you do have to charge it. So what if you could like charge it without a touch experience? And so we're working on ways to do, yeah, like touchless charging, like inductive charging or robotic charge capability. We haven't quite nailed down the design yet, but we're working on figuring that out. So this is where we spend our time to figure out yeah. what would make the experience of owning a Maki and the one that comes after it and the one that comes after that even better. I like it, man. I'm super nerdy too. I've been doing engineering for almost 17 years now. And I just realized that relationships are so important and then started this podcast. To, I didn't even start it as a podcast. I started it to talk about a book I was writing and then it grew into a podcast and then it's grown into my full-time job and now I get to talk to people like you about what they're doing, building the next generation of technology. So I'm right there with you. I like to geek out. I'm huge on user experience, right? Like I want, I want it to be seamless. I remember in 2000, I built my first house in like 2009 and uh, I set it up and I thought I was so cool because I had, done some Bluetooth with my car that didn't have Bluetooth. So I used like the cigarette right. lighter Bluetooth and built some right. stuff, a little bridge, had it play my Pandora and my whole thing. The thing I spent like three weekends on was getting it a seamless transition from when I walk out of my car to into my house, my music doesn't stop. Yep. Yep. That's really great. So the, the, I love that example because uh, we use that as a use case for how we want to enable people to have great, experiences like listening to music in your vehicle and in your home. We're also looking at use cases like how how you can have your vehicle be smart, but also be aware of your home that's smart. So there's no reason why the two can't interact with each other. So we're working to figure out how to do that. And there are some examples where we've already gotten that, uh, that worked out. Um, the simplest one is, you know, you can actually use your phone as a key to open the door now on the Lincoln Aviator. Uh, so that's that's an example of how we've realized people like design their whole lives around their smartphone. So why not enable that to be also a key to get into your vehicle? So we're working on a lot of different fronts to take those examples like your Pandora cigarette lighter example to the next level. So you give it to your kids and then when you revoke their car privileges, just disable their app. <laughs> The, lots of possibilities. Lots of possibilities. So um, you guys made an acquisition of some robots. You purchased some robots. Yeah, it wasn't an acquisition. We, we've been in a partnership with a company called Agility Robotics. And the reason we entered into this partnership is uh, we, we really believe 
that delivery package delivery is an important part of the mobility future. And I mean, there should be no doubt about that now, right? Because, you know, now, you know, more people, people are getting more packages than ever because you can't go anywhere. And so, you know, people are getting groceries delivered to their home. They're getting packages from Amazon, from Walmart, Target, a bunch of other places. And so uh, in this future, when, when um, in this new reality, when you've got a lot of packages coming to your home, uh, we want to be part of that mobility ecosystem. So imagine a future where the vehicles that are making the delivery are now autonomous. Well, how would you get the package out of the autonomous vehicle onto the doorstep? Because there's no driver to hop out and pick up the package and give it to your, you know, put it on the doorstep. There are lots of different solutions to that. I mean, one that people have thought about is, well, what if you, you know, the vehicle's got like a locker and then, you know, somehow you signal to the person and they come out to the locker and get the package. Um, we wanted to think beyond that. What if you had a, a robot that was riding along in the, in the delivery vehicle that can then hop out of the vehicle, grab your package, deliver it to the front door and then get back in the vehicle and then the autonomous vehicle moves on its way. So we started this partnership with, um, with Agility Robotics because they have a uh, robot they call Digit that is a bipedal robot. So it's a you know, stand up with two legs. And uh, we're working with them to integrate software into that robot that can talk to the software in our autonomous vehicle so they can work as a team to then drive up to a, a place of work or to a business or to a home and then the robot could finish the task of doing the last, the last 50 foot delivery. Um, it's not in production yet, but that's why it's research. So we're actively researching this with Agility Robotics as our partner. And so to advance that research, we bought that we actually placed the first order of a digit next gen robot. And we now have two of them in our possession and we're actively working to integrate the software into digit so it can do this automated package delivery uh, activity. So it's a pretty exciting future and we'll see you know, how fast we get there. That is really cool. I actually saw, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't think there's many companies doing it because two years, almost two years ago, I saw a video of on YouTube of a, a bipedal robot taking a package and it was like a, clearly it was like a prototype thing. Uh, yeah. And it was like walking up a, like a driveway and it was showing like how it was navigating the different yeah. driveways and the entries ways because there's a lot of scenarios, right? It, well, exactly. There, there are a couple of companies working in this space and we're actually uh, talking to, um, to several companies in this space. So, uh, you know, more to come as we get a little more mature about our robotics capabilities. But let me say one other thing, you know, your listeners might be interested in this. Um, one of the things we've learned a long time ago is uh, the innovation doesn't all happen inside the walls of Ford Motor Company. That's why we do things like partnering with Agility. But we also have learned that a lot of innovation happens and a lot of really cool technology developments happen in universities. And uh, the university right in our own backyard, the University of Michigan, has proven to be an outstanding partner. So I have to give a shout out to the University of Engineering uh, University of Michigan Engineering Department, who've been working with us for many years. And recently, we've amped that up in the robotics area. And so we'll be 
actually moving in this this year into the new robotics building on the campus of the University of Michigan. So we can do robotics research with them to accelerate our activities in robotics. So we're really excited about that. We think it's gonna really give us a boost. So I get people all the time that ask me, I would say like parents, either with their kids in high school, uh, or just kids that are out of high school in their first couple of years of college asking me, you know, how, how they progress in their career and like what to look for. And some of the times I've suggested, you know, them taking a look at, at those types of programs, like when companies do partnerships with the universities, what's a better way to articulate that? Like if I wanted to say to someone, yeah, you're interested in this AI and driving and robotics, you should go to Michigan's program with Ford. Like, how do I articulate that? Well, so it depends, I would say it depends on their age. And so it, the first thing advice I would give you is uh, if you've got friends with like middle school and, and early high school age kids, I would encourage them to get involved in, in high school and middle school STEM programs where uh, those programs are sponsored by companies like Ford, our competitors sponsor programs too, uh, and uh, our supplier sponsor programs, and universities have programs. So I would really encourage them to get involved. One of our favorite programs, we recently became one of the corporate sponsors of the program called First Robotics. It's a national program to introduce kids to the science and the technology of robotics. But more importantly, what they do is they teach kids how they need to work in teams and how the discipline of engineering works. Another program we really like is one that's run out of a, a run out of the San Jose Tech Interactive Museum in San Jose. And they've got a program where they also bring uh, middle school and high school kids in, they give them a challenge and they have them work on teams to solve that challenge. And in the process, they learn the experience of how to do engineering and they learn teamwork and they get mentored by engineers that volunteer to work with the museum. So these are just two examples. The Michigan Science Center does things like that. So I would encourage them to get involved in things like that. And then as they get older, um, uh, encourage them to uh, do internships at, at, you know, at, uh, at companies like Ford. Uh, we hire dozens of interns every summer and other companies uh, in Southeast Michigan do the same. And in fact, all over the nation. So those internships will give them exposure to engineers that, that work on engineering problems. And then after they've had some STEM activity, they had internships, then, you know, they'll have the, they'll have the bug, I think. And they'll go, you know, now, now you're, you're well-prepared and uh, would be a great candidate to go to a university like the University of Michigan, or, you know, it's not just Michigan, Georgia Tech, UCLA, University of Texas, Carnegie Mellon. I mean, I can name a bunch. There are some outstanding engineering programs in the country. And, um, all of them are eager to have the best and brightest students apply to those programs. So uh, I think it's a progression and you know, toward the end of that progression, they could apply to engineering schools. And that, that's the way you feed the pipeline. I'm very passionate about STEM. I, I think we've got to get more kids interested in science and technology, engineering and math at an early age. And we've got to show them that it's fun. It's, it's, you know, it's, not, it's not bad to be a geek. It's cool to be a geek. If you go to a first robotics event, it looks like you know, I call it this. It's been called the Super Bowl for nerds. You know, people yeah. are screaming and yelling. And they're like high fiving each other as they finish uh, an exercise. It's really a lot of fun. And 
And that, that'll, that's what it's going to take to get this, this country uh, filled with uh, t- the kind of talent to uh, keep us, to keep us uh, successful and vibrant. Oh, I fully agree. And I'm a huge, huge fan of STEM. And my, my brother is a physician and my sister's a, a science teacher. Oh, I'm going to show you something real quick. All right, cool. What do you got? So we had started this uh, charity because you because you brought up STEM. So it's called the Princess Physicist. We, we did oh, some nice. children's STEM books to get because I was having some kids and uh, we wanted to get them interested in in STEM and stuff. And this is about a princess who gets stuck in a tower, but instead of a guy coming to save her, she finds a book on physics under the bed and saves. I love herself. it. I love yeah. it. Isn't that well, great? Con- that's awesome. Congratulations on doing that. That's. Uh... You know, stuff like that is going to make a difference. So thank you for that. Right. Yes. We just uh, we just printed up uh, my my mom had like randomly gotten sick and passed away in a very short period of time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. But just like the coronavirus situation where it's like there's a negative, but you flip it to a positive. Right. Right. So she left us. She had left us twenty five thousand dollars, like between the three of us. And I said, guys, we're having you know, I'm having kids. And uh, why don't we why don't, I went and tracked down the one of the Disney artist people online and like had them do the artwork and I wrote the story and then we printed up 10,000 copies and then formed a 501c3 and then donated them to homeless pregnant women shelters and foster families and stuff like that. That is so cool. So that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that story. That's very heartwarming. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that that's like the type of stuff I like to do. And so when I was reading your, you know, your history and, and checking out the LinkedIn and your bio and stuff, I was like, this guy's like my type of people. You 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 do hard work. You do smart work. I saw your you have a degree in uh, nuclear engineering. That's correct. That's correct. That sounds like some some cool nerd stuff. <laughs> what did you get to work on there? Well, you know, nuclear engineering is kind of a it's like it's like a smorgasbord of engineering. It teaches a little, little bit of everything because when it's intended to to create engineers that know how to harness the power of nuclear energy to work at a nuclear power plant or in a research lab uh, working on nuclear weapons. And I started my career working at a national security lab called Sandia National Laboratories. And I was working on nuclear safety for power plants. And I'm so glad I did that because it taught me how to work in lots of different dimensions of this engineering discipline. I worked on, you know, I did a lot of thermodynamics work. I did a lot of computer development work i did control theory work it taught me about advanced materials because you know things go wrong like really bad in a nuclear plant when you have an accident so i learned a lot about lots of different dimensions of of engineering and computer science and that equipped me well for the transitions that that i went through in my career as uh you know i'm making myself sound incredibly old by saying when the internet happened uh you know i was actually in the workforce when the internet happened and it was just like wow what do we do with this thing right and so i uh i learned how to harness the power of computing uh, in an internet world and uh eventually became a cio and that taught me how to help a bunch of other people and it uh it all just kind of worked it uh so I'm, I'm glad I had that nuclear background because it prepared me for having a very diverse career. It also just sounds cool because a lot of people I talk to, it's like, oh, you know, and master's in engineering, engineering, but you've got like nuclear engineering. And that's, that's just like a little thing that stands out that just, it sounds like I feel, I know it sounds silly because we get crazy here on the podcast, but like, I feel like there's like an added 
bit of like trust. It's like, oh, that guy knows how to engineer nuclear stuff. He's extra special. <laughs> I love uh, it. Well, well, uh, thanks for the kind words, but I, you know, I'm really quite humble about about my background because I work in and around. I work around some amazingly smart people who have just amazing backgrounds and capabilities and skills. They do things I could never dream of doing, and I have just the the most humble respect for their technical talent. Uh, and quite frankly, that's what leadership is about. It's about being humble enough to know that you you're serving your team that's solving really hard problems for the co company and for the country and for the world. And uh, I'm just really blessed to be able to work work with a team that that um, that does that every day, like what we're doing to support the coronavirus response. And we're doing that in parallel to inventing the future of Ford Motor Company's vehicles, right? And it's just really humbling. And I, I just feel so honored to, to have had a background in the past that landed me in a role where I can just support and enable and, and sponsor such amazing work. So when you get to work with such amazing people, right? And you have this high performing team, and 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 a lot of you know pride for that team and thing and you just know that they're brilliant how how as as a leader how how do you curate an environment or, or how do you set them up for success yeah so the, the, so there's a couple of things i would share with you and your your listeners the, the first would be um uh you know you really have to empower people to feel like they can they can uh, bring their best so um you know be clear about, about what you're expecting them to own. And so I'm very clear with my team that, that they own these decisions. I'm not here to decide for you. I'm here to, I'm here to just set the tone and to help you and the, your colleagues come to a point of view around a vision. But then you are empowered to execute that vision. And, uh, and if you're clear about that, people will just run with it. They'll, they'll, they'll outdo themselves because they feel like they really own it. And then the second thing I'd say is you do have to provide an environment, an environment where, um, where it's safe to bring ideas and it's safe to speak up. And, you know, the first time you shoot somebody down for, you know, offering an idea because you think it's dumb, then uh, they won't bring the, the next idea. So, um, you know, I, I try to, I try to always take the view of, you know, hey, there's no bad idea. Now, there are only ideas that don't work out after you've fully explored them, right? And there's a really important difference between the two. Um, so, um, so I think those, I always start with those two. And then uh, the third thing I would share would be that, um, you know, you, you have to have some fun too, you know, Pete. People want to work, people work for people, not companies, is what I've learned. And, and so if you put a team together where you really have an environment where it's kind of enjoyable, you like the people around you. So the way I would say it is if you should be able to, to name something that you admire about everybody on your team. All right, that's the way I would say it. And then remind yourself about that when you're interacting with them. I admire you because you got this trait. So I want to be around you and I want to, I want to see that part of you come forward and blossom and people react to that in a positive way. So it really brings energy to the team, but that doesn't mean it's not hard work, right? So you also have to uh, give people challenging work. I find that when you're leading technical teams, 
they work for they work for people, so they want to be in an enjoyable environment. They want to be empowered. They want to feel like the environment is trustworthy, so they can speak up and offer ideas. And and then lastly, they want to work on things that matter. They want to work on important work that matter, and they want to see that their work really turns into something that's going to influence outcomes. So if you do all those things, and you're competitive in pay, you're going to have a great team. You're going to have a good experience. Do you do a lot of public speaking? Do you get to get out there at different conferences and share this type of knowledge? I, I do a lot of public speaking. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I vote. I vote. You do more. <laughs> it's, good. It's, it's, it's beautiful information. We just and that's why I love you know getting you to come here and share it because now we can just amplify it out to everybody. Well, it's my pleasure to do that. So, thank you for inviting me into the into your podcast. Dude, this is amazing. Uh, I have I want one more topic that I want to uh, talk about or just just hear a little bit more about because it really caught my interest. I read an article that you had written about mass navigation, and I had never thought about that before. It was a really interesting concept. Can you share with me what's going on in mass navigation? So one of the things that we're working with Microsoft on is the idea of optimizing how people navigate about in a busy city. I mean, you've, you've had this experience, everyone's had this experience where, where you, know, you wanna go from point A to point B and it's some really busy city and you know, the streets are all congested, you punch it into your nav and it tells you to go this way. And the nav doesn't know about all the different aspects of congestion and all the other people that are doing the same thing with their nav and how they're moving around the accident that's in front of you into you know, the alleyway that's three streets around and so you think you can go that way, but turns out everybody else is going that way too. And so it's not going to help you, right? So that's just one example. The, the science of getting pe people who are all in the same space at the same time to their desired destinations in an optimal way is a super duper hard problem. And, and the only way you can optimize that problem is to is to play out all the different scenarios of what if Johnny goes this way? What if Sarah goes that way? What if Peter goes this way and Tina goes this way? And, and you know, you just do that for the hundreds of thousands of people that are on the road in that moment, trying to get to, to all different destinations from all different starting points. And there's like, if you have a thousand people and, a, and 500 different routes, you know, you can, you've got a, a, an exponentially intractable problem that can't be solved on a traditional computer. And so what we're doing is working with Microsoft to, to frame that problem in what's called quantum space. And if you frame it in quantum space, you can then give the problem to a quantum computer that can optimize the problem in a matter literally of minutes, maybe even seconds, because quantum computers solve problems differently than traditional what's called von Neumann computers. And they can solve that problem by applying quantum principles. I won't go into the details of quantum principles, but trust me, it just works and it's super fast. And so uh, we've been working with Microsoft to frame these kinds of, of traffic optimization problems in quantum space so that quantum computers can then solve that problem. So we did a couple of simple test cases showing that instead of taking literally, you know, uh, hours to run a simulation that gets to an optimal solution, we could do it in a matter of seconds. And if you scale that up to a real size problem, you move it from you can't solve it to you can solve it. 
And so uh, it's still early days, uh, but it's showing enough promise that we're we're uh, double clicking on that, and we're going to work with Microsoft on the next round of what might be possible. Yeah, I I love the quantum computing. It seems like there are some very specific use cases for it. Another area that I've that I've been hearing about uh, is like biological things, like when developing mm -hmm. drugs and things. Because we we right now we have an abstraction of the molecules, but because the amount of data to actually represent the molecule is so great but it happens to be that quantum computing can can do pretty interesting things and then i was blown away even farther to find out there's actually like quantum clouds you could go spin up a quantum server now and play with the qubits i was like that's pretty interesting it's a pretty exciting time because we're we're at the very early stages of the maturity of quantum computing and and if you pay pay attention to it and engage in it during this early stage, when it matures, you'll be advantaged. And the simple example of the evidence I can give you that that is a true statement is, uh, I'll go back to my earlier comment, you know, when I was around when the internet happened. Imagine we knew then what we know now about the power of the internet. How would we have designed the companies that we all worked in differently. If we knew that advertising would be done in through social media networks, if we knew that, you know, uh, you could do all your banking online instead of driving to the bank, you know, imagine how you, you a bank would have been advantaged by not building additional physical facilities or how a company would have been advantaged by amping up their computer software hiring skills early in the game. So take that fast forward at 20 years and apply it to the moment in time we're at now with quantum computing so you have to believe that even though quantum computing is still early days nobody's really even built one yet that's at scale you can't really frame problems without a lot of really hard work and getting a bunch of quantum physicists to sit down and reconfigure your software well, the same was true 20 years ago with the internet. You know, people that were using the internet in the early days, you had to have, you know, computer software, you know, technology gurus sit with you and design how you're going to actually put this software package on the internet to move data from one city to another. It was hard. It was really hard, right? It's like drop dead easy now. We do it without even thinking about it. You know, we just whip out our cell phones and it happens, right? You and I are doing a face-to-face -face interview on laptops and it looks like it's natural. It's like you're sitting right here in my office, right? It's I like, know. It's like natural, right? Quantum's going to be like that one day, right? And so we're investing in quantum now because we know it'll be like that one day. So that's that's why we're in that space. Oh, man. I just flashed back when you were describing that to one night. Um, it was like a Friday night. We were having pizza. My dad was showing me how he could program his watch. He had a watch that had like an infrared thing. So the screen would flash barcodes and you could program the watch without plugging it in. <laughs> and then I was like, what else could we do? And he's like, well, I've been playing around with these 56K cards. He's like, we could install two of them and then we could have one dial up up uh, dedicated to uploading and one dial up connection dedicated to downloading and we could upload and download at the same time. And I was like, what? That would be amazing. Uh, 128k you know 
there's so many funny stories about the early days of computing and that that, that are instructive because it 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 sort of informs us of what what we should be thinking about and investing in now that's not yet mature you know the my, one of my funniest stories is i had a uh, one of my first computers was was a commodore 64 and uh, you know i don't know if you remember those but mm -hmm. uh, they had um, 40 characters on the screen and that used to drive me crazy because people don't write sentences in 40 character links they write sentences in 80 character links because that's the width of a sheet of paper right so on on a sheet of paper in 12 point font you typically can get about 80 characters 72 is what you were used to typing on a typewriter right you type 72 characters punch cards had 72 characters so the fact that the Commodore 64 had 40 characters drove me and my friends nuts. And so we both went into a Commodore 64 and hacked the BIOS so that it actually would take characters and turn them into digital characters that were half the size. And then we mashed them up. So we got 80 characters on our Commodore 64. And we thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so, so you tell people stories like that and you realize how far we've come and how far we're going to go. Oh. So true. So true. It's, it's, it's interesting behavior of humans because we'll sit there and say, oh, you know, it's not there yet. But at the same time, you know, you look back to when the internet was coming out and then even in like the, the mid, the mid nineties, you would have all, all these now, you know, internet billionaires, like they were screaming from the top of their lungs, this is going to be the future. And the rest of the business world was like, eh, right. And then I talked exactly. to people like Robert Suter who spent his entire you know, 30 plus year career in, in the qubit world. And there, he's just excited because they actually, the machines went from like theoretical to they have them and they can do like basic stuff on them and it's progressing. And then I'm expanding that out 20 years. And I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be really, it's going to be a fun 20 years, Ken. It, it will be. And makes me wish I was your age. <laughs> so, but, I, but, you know, my, my grandkids are going to have a really fun time. And then when they get to be my age, their grandkids are going to have even more fun. But the reason I say it that way is because uh, it, it's a good setup for something that, that uh, I'm also very passionate about. My company is very passionate about is, uh, you know, for our kids and our grandkids to have a great experience and for us to continue to see these kinds of technology evolutions, we have to take care of this planet. And so sustainability is super important. And tech for sustainability is something we're really focused on. Uh, and so we stare at, at the technology today that we're working to put into our vehicles. And we have to believe that the technology will, will unlock opportunities around new propulsion that'll be cleaner, that'll be greener, and we see a future that has definitely has the potential for a net zero carbon footprint around uh, transportation. So we're working hard to develop those technologies and put it in our vehicles, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because we think people are going to demand it and they're going to want it. And um, so that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. Well, thank you. Because every time I go for a run outside and I catch exhaust, I'm just like, I want the future to be electric. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know, if even if every car we sold today was a battery electric vehicle, we still have work to do to get to net zero carbon. You know, we because, you know, there are cars we sold five years ago, they're still on the road. And so we need to think about it in a 
whole life cycle analysis kind of way. And that's how, that's how uh, my team and I are thinking about it. Well, I'm going to sleep easy tonight knowing we've got people like you working on these problems, man. I really, and I really mean that too. Like I, I get, I get very excited. I get to meet people and like, this is why I like that. We're not like a, you know, a 15 second soundbite or like a two minute clip, right. Of what's going on in the world, Kent, you know, we get to have yeah. like these conversations, hear stories. I get to understand, we get a vibe for like who, who we are at our core. And, and that's what, honestly, that's what drives me to, to want to continue to do this. And, and uh, whenever I do meet people like you, I get excited and it uh, re-energizes me. And then I highlight you green on my spreadsheet as people I want to meet in person. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. Well, I appreciate the invitation. It was a great chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a fantastic day and I'm going to have Chloe and Jake loop back with you and your team. And thank you so much, Wes and everybody on your, your team for making this happen in your EA and everybody. I really appreciate it. When all the social distancing stuff's over, uh, I'll let you know. Maybe I'll stop by and say hello. That sounds great. All right. Talk soon, Ken. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.